Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is the Warmer 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I am your host, Mr. PD Pob, and with me I have two wonderfully charismatic co-hosts. Mm. Skari. Hello, everybody. And, and the one and only Valentine Heffelfinger. Valentine. Second. I'll be your Valentine every mm. day of the year, Pete. And by Beautiful. Pete, I mean Pablo, because, well, I'm used to saying Pete. <laughs> everyone, everyone calls me, I'm, I'm a man of many names. You are Petey um, Pop, so I, I, I get Petey it. I yeah. Some people actually think my first name is Petey and my last name is Pop. <laughs> True stories. <laughs> Anyways, you clicked on this episode because you wanted to hear us talk about the market and how it affects 40k tournaments. So that is going to be what this episode is about. Uh, we're not going to talk about just secondhand models. We're going to be talking about uh, what it's like when a model is out of stock and in high demand and how that affects tournaments and, and also what you can do about it, uh, how you can kind of build around it with some do's and don'ts, some things that we've seen in past tournaments. And uh, also we're going to talk about how the grand Warhammer or I guess miniatures market affects 40k so we're talking like when 7th edition was at its lowest point uh, the big 8th edition boom and resurgence in Warhammer 40k players and also maybe what will happen if 9th edition takes off uh, what that'll how that'll affect your 40k tournaments coming up whenever 40k tournaments come back online so should be a great episode there's a lot to talk about but before we get into it we have some plugging to do First and foremost, if you haven't checked it out, the Frontline Gaming Network has a bevy of amazing podcasts, including the new and also old, because we've been alluding to it for a while, uh, 40K Chat Center, uh, which just debuted its first episode, um, replacing temporarily 40K Stat Center. Valley. Chat, chat, chatting away. Yeah, we need, to, we need to land a new guest for this maybe week. Probably not this week, but at some point in the future, we'll probably have another chat, chat, chatteroo. Yeah, absolutely. And if that's not, your, jerk. <laughs> if that's not your style, you have, of course, Signals from the Frontline and The Art of War, and of course, this podcast as well. Frontline Gaming Network has been expanding and growing lately. Have you noticed we have integrated advertising? I don't want to say seamlessly. However, you know, it's it's been has has been poorly received uh which which is i'm very thankful for because the advertising was something that we were all kind of hesitant to do however it seems to be working out well and with that ad revenue money we are growing the network in general with as you may have noticed that big five thousand dollar giveaway um that's not five thousand dollars cash money we made five thousand dollars from ads no i don't know we made a lot something like that we really didn't (laughs) no we really didn't but (laughs) <laughs> we were able to make enough revenue from the ads to justify something like this, which more importantly, I think, is the bigger deal there. Uh, as we grow more as a network, as we grow with more viewers and listeners, uh, we will be able to you know, offer more and more giveaways, more incentives, more fun, cool stuff, maybe streaming, maybe live streams of our episodes, uh, you know, whatever. I think the sky's the limit here. And if you are have already subscribed to the Frontline Gaming Network and you're listening to this podcast, please do. Uh, I think that if you play 40K, I think that the Frontline Gaming Network is quickly becoming the network uh, people should listen to for for a variety of reasons, not just for 40K tournament news. All right. Yeah, I just want to iterate underneath the uh, the the advertising. I think all the podcasts are united, unanimous on this network that we're just dumping it back into other promotional stuff for the shows. Um, I know Peter and I specifically are not in this to be, um, uh, you know, r- rolling around in dough, but 
we do like it when there are a lot of people who listen. So that's kind of what we're looking to do, mostly with the ad revenue for now. Yep, absolutely. And speaking of uh, revenue, if you want to support this podcast in particular, Chapter Tactics, you can, of course, head on over to a Patreon, patreon.com slash chapter tactics. Patrons get access to cool, exclusive content sometimes. Also, they get giveaways and get access to our Discord and Facebook channels where you can ask people like me, Val, Skari, Brandon, and other co-hosts to um, just various questions. You know, we'll be able to help you out. It's a lot of fun. Um, all One final note. Uh, I've been uh, on a little bit of a secondhand binge specifically for books. And uh, if you were unfamiliar with the Warhammer End Times book series, I've been looking for them far and wide. If you want to make one Rhino happy, please email me at frontlinegamingpdpop at gmail.com. I will make an offer. It won't be one of those ridiculous offers that you see online, um, but I'm looking for those books. So a little bit of a selfish plug there. Uh, however, you know, it's my pod, it's our podcast, and I asked the two co-hosts here for permission, and they said yes. So anyways, moving on. I think that's it. Also go to frontlinegaming.org and buy stuff, because Reese told me to tell you. So go to frontlinegaming.org. You got any second handies these days? You got anything, we, anything we kicking are. around? We we do have second handies. Uh, I just actually listed a bunch of Primaris Space Marine stuff, all primed in Ultramarines blue. Uh, you know, it's a staple of the secondhand market. If you look up <laughs> 40k Space Marine Ultramarine on eBay, uh, you you will get the most listings out of any 40k search by a lot. Maybe even more listings than all the War Machine and Hordes listings combined. And those will become <laughs> Blood Angels and Dark Angels and Space Wolves and yeah, Light Scouts. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, or, or or more importantly, blue scars, blue ravens, you know, blue wool. <laughs> Anyways, blue <Bluer> enhanced, <laughs> ultra angels, that that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, so actually, I think that's a great segue into uh, the topic, and that's the secondhand market. So if you don't know uh, already, I am the person who runs the secondhand shop through Frontline Gaming. And this puts me in a unique position. Uh, to kind of keep a pulse or an eye on the market as uh, items kind of rise and fall. I do roughly look at what items are selling really well and what items are maybe not selling so well. I also look at what armies people are selling, um, you know, unmasked. For example, when Gene Steelers Colts got nerfed, a lot of people started selling their Gene Steeler models. Space Marines, as Space Marines rise and fall and as different units go in and out. Uh, for instance, drop pods. There was one point when I had uh, over 25 drop pods in the secondhand shop from people who uh, listed them and people who wanted to sell them to us and had a very hard time moving them, even selling them as low as $15, $10 a model, and they were not selling. And that's because, of course, drop pods were bad. Um, mm. And so as GW might disagree with me although maybe old gw might disagree with me um rules actually do sell models that is something that's always been consistent i think as long as i've been playing warmer 40k and as someone who buys and sells models and someone who not only buys and sells used models but also puts in the orders through games workshop and has a direct connection via our retailer account with games workshop i do have a unique position in looking at models <clears throat> as they kind of like model trends, buy and selling trends. You're a sweaty used model salesman. We know. I am. I am a sweaty used model salesman. <laughs> and what I want to know. Not snake oil. It's true. No, there no, is true. there is substance behind these uh, these these old and tenderly loved models out on the lot that Pablo will pat twice before they explode. But uh, I wanted to ask you: Was there a brief run on drop pods like right after the Space Marine Codex? 
dropped because like suddenly they weren't entirely crap? So, um, yes. So uh, when the Space Marine Codex dropped, there was a huge bump in all Space Marine products being sold, not just secondhand, but also new in box. Uh, and that actually kind of is a good segue into the first bit of this topic. And that's the most recent, I think, um, example of how the market can affect tournaments and, and competitive play and 40k play in general. Um, and that's when the Space Marine Codex dropped. Space Marines have always been the kind of barometer for how the GW market is doing in general. Um, they've always been the best sellers. If Space Marines aren't selling, GW is acutely aware and they will do things, they will make changes to make sure that that is not the case. Uh, for instance, when Space Marines weren't selling in uh, early 8th edition, before the 8th edition Space Marine Codex dropped, uh, there was a point when they were doing absolutely poorly. GW knew it. I had a hard time moving Space Marine models. Space Marine models were not selling. I think I had like eight Razorbacks new in box sitting on shelves. Um, the only thing that was selling was like Dark Imperiums, you know, and kind of some of the Primaris models because those are new models that people didn't have their you know, in their collections. I think yeah. a lot of people were really afraid that they were also like going to discontinue mini Marines immediately. Like as soon as the codex dropped. Yes. So I think and that probably chilled things too a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another thing with the mini Marines that I've kind of noticed is specifically with space Marines, but also with, with some of the other older, more established popular factions like chaos space Marines and Eldar people will already have uh, collections of, of cool miniatures that were good back in the day, right? So like Sternguard veterans are an example of a very common miniature that people always have. So if you are Imperial Knights are another example. So if those models or armies were to ever become good in the meta, I would expect a very, very quick turnaround in uh, local tournaments um, for that meta. So for instance, if tomorrow uh, Imperial Knights were to become really powerful, if they were, they were to just get buffed, and um, were to become really good or a good list were to come out, uh, I would expect within a week 40k tournaments to have a ton of Imperial Knights because Imperial Knights are a really common model that people use. Uh, yeah. However, vice versa, if um, let's say uh, when Death Watch first came out, Death Watch were not very popular when they first came out. Other than that Death Watch Overkill box set, a lot of people weren't buying them. Um, there were some novelty people obviously buying them because, of course, you know, they're cool, they're cool models, um, they're fun, but they weren't as widely bought out as Imperial Knights or Space Marines or Chaos Space Marines. Um, so if there was a sudden shift that made Death Watch really good, I wouldn't expect as quick a turnaround um, on Death Watch, on people running Death Watch uh, armies specifically. So I wouldn't necessarily plan for Death Watch in an immediate tournament, although I definitely have to plan for them in the future if they were to maintain that, that level of competitiveness. Yeah, I think you're so right. And I think that's the, one of the reasons we haven't really seen Sisters of Battle, for example. I feel like a lot of people have been pl uh, buying Sisters of Battle and oh, building so Sisters many. of Battle armies. Uh, however, the extent of uh, which the hobby community has sort of embraced the new Adeptus Sororitas will be really felt once people's collections start hitting the shelves. Very similar to Gene Steeler Cult. Yeah. Um, so actually, it brings me to my first question for you two. With, sister, with regards to Sisters, so Sisters, I've kind of been uh you know talking about how they're they're like a, a hidden 
OP army. Um, I think there's going to be a huge tide of sisters in the horizons that we're just waiting to kind of, people are kind of just waiting to put on the battlefield. You have really good players who are also vocal, um, like i.e. Brandon Grant, who are talking about how good sisters are. And I'm I'm looking at a ton of Sisters models being sold. Sisters of Battle squads are already sold out of Games Workshop. Like right now, as we speak, uh, it's 7 p.m. five 5:25 uh, in 2000 year 2020. I don't I doubt you're listening to this episode in 2000 in a year that isn't 2020. <coughs> well, it might be. Who knows? But Battle we'll Sisters squads. <laughs> Battle Sister squads are currently sold out of games or out of the U.S. Uh, web cart on Games Workshop. I haven't checked the U.K. or the Canadian web cart. Um, however, the U.S. web cart is sold out. I have a ton of back orders um, currently of people who want to order Sisters of Battle models uh, via Frontline Gaming. And so it, I think it's safe to assume that a lot of people are buying Sisters of Battle models. Um you know, Battle Sisters are the, they're like a bread and butter infantry choice. You know, it's not like a niche model. It's not like the Exorcist. Uh, you know, they're they're models that GW probably knows they should have a lot of ready to go to be shipped out. Um, so if sisters, if a really good sisters list comes out, um, which if you if you listen to Brandon Grant, you listen to kind of some of the the rumblings coming from Tabletop Simulator, uh, you'll know that Repentia are going to be really good. Uh, possibly Sisters and Rhinos or Vehicle Spam Sisters as well are going to be really solid too. So I fully expect some broken Sisters builds to take over 40k tournaments whenever they do come out. And they'll be ready to go. They'll be painted, ready to go, because everyone's painting right now. Well, not everyone, but um, I imagine a lot of people are getting armies ready and painted, ready to go. Agreed. So. Sisters, the sisters' tide is coming, ladies so, and gentlemen. Uh, so, uh, what was the question in there? So the question, <laughs> lost so, in sorry. There. So the question lost. was, the question was going to be, um, <laughs> what do you, what, what do you two think about? Uh, so do you, first off, do you agree with me? Um, second off, what do you guys think about sisters coming in and being sold? Do you think that they're actually going to make as big of an impact as that? Uh, do you think that a lot of people are actually buying them? Are they um, an army that interests you in general? Well, don't everyone answer at once. Well, it's weren't up you to you, Val. Up, weren't you painting up some stuff? I swear, I thought I thought. Maybe I had. Wrong. I got my. Um, I got my sisters painted. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a whole bunch of old sisters of battle. Right. Oh. So uh, they were just sitting in a box forever, and I decided to get them painted. So they got painted, and now I have a little like thousand point sisters army, which is great. I can't wait to expand on it. However, yes, I do feel after playing the sisters a couple of times. They've got some really cool combos that in 8th edition work really well and have some really cool dynamics. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they've sort of developed that army to play into 9th edition or the next edition, which is going to be cool because they've probably been testing it in conjunction with it, like, you know, in terms of building and making sure that the rules interact well with the new edition so um yeah i i'm very excited for for sisters players yeah i'm going to be really interested to see how the transition is handled into ninth because quite clearly if they're making um you know changes to core fundamental rules and uh, because all rules are included for the most part on data slates they're probably gonna have to errata a bunch of stuff and old erratas probably will no longer exist so it'll probably be like that two point that sigmar 2.0 transition where i assume they'll have to go back and correct stuff that being said um i don't i think you know sisters is probably suffering a bit from the classic lag 
of uh, you know models being able to get on the table from uh, the fact that it's all they're all new releases or largely new releases. And then also COVID-19 came before really, you know, that gap got closed. Most of this range was released, I guess, in January and February of this year. So, you know, aside from that that box that was teased in, in well, October, November, just before Christmas, you know, they ha there hasn't really been access to the entire range. And I think yeah. some of a lot of it is still on pre-order if I'm if the website's correct. Um, I don't know, actually. I don't <laughs> think I think it's all out now. I think yeah. they managed to get it out. Uh, if you if you look at the website, which I guess I'm I'm gonna go to right oh, now. Oh no, I think yeah, this week's Adeptus Sororitas pre-orders is just a it's just a uh, thing that they never took down. Everything else is here. So in Canada anyway, the only things that are sold out are Dominions and Celestins and Battle Sister squads. Yep. Everything else is in stock. So don't don't be too uh, broken hearted if uh, if you wanted to start a sisters thing. Oh, I think so, I think uh, also um, one of the reasons why this matters at all because there's a time where it didn't is that hobby standards are higher now in tournaments. So, um, you know, you have to have, usually, you know, if you're at a GT or major level, uh, usually you do have to have a certain level achieved of, you know, having the right model. Not hasn't always been the case. Um, you know, having it painted to, well, if you're at a frontline gaming tournament now, it's got to be what, battle standard? What, what do they call it? Battle ready? Mm -hmm. um, which yeah. is a cool sort of little bit more than three... Uh, three colors based standard, but even three colors based is a you know that's that takes some time, you know. Yeah, and and as a matter of fact, that actually affected tournaments um, from when we implemented it too back last year. Uh, there were specific, I think specifically, I think Imperial Fists uh, that there were certain armies. I think like Imperial Fists, definitely Sisters. Uh, that were affected m not because they hadn't been out for a month because they kind of had especially in the sisters case a lot of people bought them really early in december um actually mid late december uh and had technically would have had enough time to assemble and three color minimum um which we've seen happen in the past in the lvo uh but this year's lvo sisters were largely you know unused even though they had some pretty good builds uh and i think that's in part due to those tabletop standards Val mentioned, but also it being a new codex and not the entire line not being out yet. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a factor um, that you might want to consider in the future is, you know, not only scarcity, but also is this, is this uh, army, are people going to have enough time to paint it to the standard now that tournaments are, are applying to their, their events. And I mean, so. there was, there was a time where, you know, even the model didn't matter. Like for example, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like we, we would, you know, I mean, shit, someone brought, um, you know, Count Chocula Green. ghosts, mush, oh, yeah, uh, marshmallows yeah. as uh, brimstone horrors because the brimstone model was available in packages, you know, in pairs as part of silver tower or whatever it was. Yeah. It was you silver know, so tower. 100, 150 bucks a pop for two brimstone ores. For a pair of brimstones. It's also, it's also been a while since GW has released so like miniatures or rules for miniatures that don't have a miniature. Mm -hmm. um, I yep. think the they really stopped doing that like around the Tyranid release when the Tyranids and there was a whole bunch of like third parties and stuff like that that came out. Still lots However, of still <clears> lots of stuff in Forge World though. Still lots of stuff in Forge mm -hmm. World. However, it seems like you know, recently with, for example, the Space Marine Impulsor, right? That was mm -hmm. a kit that wasn't 
with the rules were out before the model was physically released. Yeah, for right. A while. So that's that's yeah. something as well that you know now that the model has been released, we're seeing a lot of impulsor armies really kind of kicking around when it comes to space marines. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, impulsors are one of those space marine um, units that are selling well right now, at least uh, from what I can tell um, from my end. Uh, obviously, they haven't been sold out via you know global GW, so. I don't know how well they're selling, but you know, a lot of people are buying impulsors. Uh, one thing, one thing to know is uh, currently, right now, uh, GW is limiting retailers and how much they can order. So, uh, for example, we're only able to order a few of each item. Um, not a few, but like they're limiting orders. So, if, you know, if we have to order like a hundred you know of one item we won't be able to get that many we won't be able to get close that many and it's like that for all items um so i think we're going to start seeing shortages of very very popular items uh right now um and then we're probably going to see that affect secondhand market prices like what granites are currently at right now and so if you look at if you go to ebay and you look at granite terminators granite paladins and what they're selling for uh they're selling for more than msrp you know, Grey Knight yeah. Terminators, Grey Knight Paladin yeah. bits are selling for, you know, 12, 13 bucks a model, which is, you know, a lot over MSRP. I think the Grey Knight Terminator kit 60 bucks for five. I'm just going to. It is a sixty dollars, sixty dollars for five. I mean, you could. I mean, even if you just search, for example, beautiful Grey Knight Studio Commission um, <laughs> Army, um, you know, I mean, that's going for. I mean, it's very, it's quality. It's a quality army. But I mean, that person is asking. An appropriate but high price for it. Yeah, and, you know, and it's it's a it's it's something that, especially in the secondhand market, I see trending often. Uh, and then in regards to how much um, how much does scalping actually happen? Like I don't watch lot. it minute to oh, minute, it's but so like, bad. but how much? So let's it's say so bad. Okay, so the blast... so how much how much over retail is a is a because okay. I sold I sold some brand new inbox um uh pallet like terminators uh -huh. as well as strike marines. And they really didn't go that much past retail. Well, I mean, it's you probably didn't price them higher than retail, right? Well, what, I didn't, what, you know, I didn't start the bid higher than retail. No. Yeah, so so it, it depends. So if you go to a um, uh, really cool website I use called Watch Count, you can look at what eBay listings sell for um, mm -hmm. and what eBay listings are in general on specific keywords. Uh, that's primarily where I get most of my eBay research done for secondhand miniatures. Um, you'll be able to see roughly where models sell at and what people are buying and selling models for. So um, scalping is in, in Warmer 40k isn't that bad, except for very specific circumstances. And uh, Val mentioned earlier specific models, and also Ascari mentioned Forge World models being out of, um, not having models for, um, not having models for them, for the rules. Uh, Thunderfire cannons were a highly scalped, highly you know sought after model when thunderfire cannons became big in the new space marine codex because of course the thunderfire cannon is such a splashable miniature I mean, what's the spread? Than like what's points. the spread like a thunderfire cannon i, I don't even know so, what they retail for so, but like... so right now right now they're in stock so you won't see secondhand much market prices you know go that high however when thunderfire cannons were big and we needed to get them for paint commissions in particular uh because if you're a paint commissioner you know that sometimes people want a model that's commissioned that's just out of stock or um you know you're gonna have to convert it somehow or you're gonna have to pay a scalper on online for uh you know an increased price value in the model so like the metal thunderfire cannon was probably going for about a hundred bucks easily uh, the the fine cast or assembled or be poorly painted 
Thunderfire cannons that you would normally see bottom of the barrel stuff go at, they were going for at MSRP, $50, $60. I think $52 is probably around what I saw on average. I was selling our Thunderfire cannons through Frontline Gaming Store for $45, and they were going fast. Mm. They're, they're going really, really fast. And $45 for a Thunderfire cannon is... Uh, $12 off MSRP, so about 15% off, which is what you would normally see those Thunderfire cannons go for at market value uh, from everywhere other than GW Store. Because if, if you, in case you don't know, uh, MSRP isn't really the, stan- the golden standard for miniatures for pricing them. It's actually 15% off MSRP because that's where, the, that's what retailers are allowed to sell models for at. That's the limit. You can't sell any models lower than 15% off MSRP. So just just keep that in mind when you're looking at MSRP values because I, I see people confused all the times so when, when they're, you know, value evaluating their, their miniatures or when they're asking for valuations for mm. quotes and stuff. So um, anyways, so 45%, uh, $45 for a Thunderfire Cannon was near what we would sell it for brand new. As a matter of fact, 476 is 15% off. So, you know, um, and that's that's rare. Most secondhand miniatures uh, we sell go for a lot less than, than near you know what we sell them for in the box. So right. and these are these are bottom of the barrel Thunderfire cannons. They're painted, fine cast, yeah. broken bits, maybe missing their tech marine gunner. Um, so this is what they were selling for in like December, November, um, maybe even as, as late as January, February. Um, but uh, more importantly, you around that time, which is why I wanted to talk about Thunderfire Cannons and also Chaplain Dreadnoughts, uh, was that we were kind of going through that resurgence in hobby standards. Yeah. And so conversions were a big deal, too. So, uh, you, you know, you saw people like Cromlech, um, Cromlech Thunderfire Cannons were were kind of they were good because they were good, well converted or they were they were good conversions however uh, you did see kind of a dip in some of those secondhand miniatures that sell uh you know cool stuff cool uh you know thunderfire cannon or i'm sorry uh thundering cannon you know hmm. space space soldier the thundering cannon you know those, yeah. those kind of stuff um it's all super fascinating uh <laughs> the market i i, I kind of want to have this is kind of what this episode is kind of shaping out to be uh but to kind of tie it all back the reason why i brought up thunderfire cannons and chaplain dreadnoughts is because when you when you're planning for the meta and you're planning for key units in an army that you're going to see a lot of i.e thunderfire cannons and chaplain dreadnoughts and space marine and iron hands lists that's also something you want to keep in mind in the back of your head is people are probably going to have one Thunderfire Cannon. Space Marine players are most likely going to have one Thunderfire Cannon. However, three Thunderfire Cannons and three Thunderfire Cannon lists are going to be a lot rarer. Outside of the top players who have resources or have uh, people that they, they trade with or who really, really want it, uh, you know, i.e. the Manny Chimas of the world who can somehow get their hands on three Scorpiuses, even yeah, though they've been well, sold out of Forge World for months. They were bought. Uh, he was. They were bought at Forge World, and he overnight shipped them to himself. Yeah, they, but, <laughs> and, and I imagine he because they were sold out in the, at least in the U.S. So we called dedication for a long time. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's um it's very expensive, and it's also not as much effort as most people have, and also you know. Even if, let's say, like you've got like five Manny Chimas who all do that, um, Forge World isn't going to be able to fulfill all the Manny Chimas. So there's going to be like like one guy, like a Brandon Grant or a Nick Rose, who just didn't get his Scorpiuses 
you know, in time. And we've actually seen this happen before in the past uh, with the Razorwing flocks in 7th edition. If you remember the the stupid mm-hmm. Razorwing flock spam list that kind of, I think this was 8th edition, early, early 8th edition. Early 8th before, yeah, that, that like broke. When, <laughs> when within Ari and stuff, yeah. Yeah, um, just from a personal anecdote, the Bay Area Open had uh, just happened. It was one of the first events that had the new 8th edition rules, and Razorwing flock spam was this big thing. And we had several people, you know, who came up to us and were like, hey, I didn't get my Razorwing flocks from GW in time, which, surprise, surprise, they were sold out of GW at the time. So, of course, they didn't get them. Um, who asked for conversions, who, you know, asked if their conversions were okay. Um, I remember Reese and Frankie laughing about some of the Razorwing conversions that we saw. Um, some people were even running, like, like adorable animals instead of razor wing flocks. Oh man, I oh. I absolutely love um uh that because there's a there's a miniature line. I'm just trying to find who it is. Um <laughs> but anyway, there's a miniature line that had I think it's Reaper. They had a uh oh it's for zombie side. They have a murder of crows and it's like a bunch of like just they're nice. a bunch of like razor wings essentially or whatever those things were. And I just love thinking about them having a board meeting and be like razor Razorwing flocks are, or sorry, murder of crows is, is is flying off the shelves, and then like they just like yep. imagine like okay we're gonna we're gonna do uh, an expansion it's gonna be all birds, <laughs> and it just sinks their whole company because two weeks later no one was buying them. Uh, you know I'm sure similar stuff happens to varying degrees of that, uh, but that is a super fun funny thing to think about. Uh, however, to get back on point, Razorwing flocks were. Um, were almost a non-issue at the Bay Area Open. Uh, they also, I think, they got nerfed too, which I think was really. Oh, that funny. was like the first. That was like the first FAQ that got crashed. Yeah, yeah. They, I think they got nerfed too. So, there oh yeah, that list like... was ridiculous. <laughs> it was so it basically, dumb. it got to the ETC and then it was over. Yes. 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 Uh, however, I remember at the Bay Area Open, a lot of people were trying to run them, um, and then the rules change happened, and then a lot of people got stuck with them. Um, some people, unfortunately, um, had already flown out to California when the rules change happened. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a big that fiasco. Wasn't, that wasn't that. That was something else. That was maybe Unari or no? That was Rule of Three. That was Rule of Three. That was, was what the, that was. No, it was it was. Yes, it uh, was. Because I remember the very specific person, and I could probably even go into Facebook histories on the Frontline Gaming account and I guarantee find you, it this lines very up, specific. man. The, it was the Rule of Three. You guys adopted Rule of Three with like a week or two warning, and whoever that was had already left, and they were like, "Well, shit." Yeah. Well, I just don't want to name the person, so I don't want to. Anyways, it doesn't matter. the The point is, is that <laughs> when when models when models and become scarce, time to turn around. Yeah. Ew, uh, when models become scarce like that, especially web store exclusive finecast models. Um, and by the way, if you don't know, here's here's a pro tip at, at knowing if a model is going to be sold out for a long time. If it's web store exclusive, that means it has that little red arrow on the GW web cart. That means that retailers can't sell it on their web carts. They can still order it. However, it's at less of a margin and we have to order it directly from GW, GW's web cart, not through our own retail accounts, which makes the web store exclusive models extra exclusive. Um, I'm not going to go into the reason for why GW does that. However, it is a phenomenon that happens. And so when models that are web store exclusive go- get sold out of stock, i.e. Shining Spears, which are actually sold out right now, um, Shining Spears, Inari Shining Spears back in the day were almost impossible to find because they were web store exclusive and so, so popular because they were Inari, broken Inari models um, that yeah. even like a monkey could use and go foreign to at tournaments with 
that was something that um, you had to buy conversions for. You had to buy conversion kits or, you know, plastic hard spears and put them on your Skyrunners or your, your jet bikes or whatever. And so WebStore exclusive bottles are something um, you should always kind of keep uh, a beat on. If you're waffling on a unit or if you're kind of wondering if you want to buy it or not, you know it's competitive and it's WebStore exclusive, just buy it. Buy it early if you can uh, because chances are everyone's going to pick it up and it's going to get sold out. Uh, so, you know, if you want if you were uh, back in the day in October and September, if you were wondering about buying a Thunderfire cannon and you didn't buy it, and then you had to wait till March for Thunderfire cannons to be restocked, you know, you were out of luck and that can affect you. And it affected a lot of people and affected a lot of lists. So uh, one other thing, a barrier to a list that I kind of wanted to talk about and something that I kind of wanted to ask you two about as well was uh, prices. Um, a long time ago, maybe I think in like 6th edition, uh, Matt Root and I were laughing about uh, really good ad mech lists that no one was running because it was too expensive. And that was, it was like 12... All dragoons? 12 um, <sighs> dragoons. Yeah, Skitari... So, uh, yeah, Skitari... Uh, the, I don't know if it was the Iron Strider, the BDSM or... Gimp Walkers. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but but it's super 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 expensive. Also kind of annoying to assemble and paint. Um. So, in terms of uh, lists, have you two ever found uh price to be an issue and restriction for competitive lists uh in the past for both both yourselves and both just anecdotally, or is that just kind of like an outlier? This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash instantinkspotify. I think it does exist. Like, for example, I know there are a couple of, like, Gene Steel cult builds, for example, that yeah. are very, very expensive to build. So, you know, it's not something that you see just all the time like you see a lot of gene steel called elements in this but not like 45 bikes only some people can go out and buy that many packs of bikes like on a quick like notice and then the meta shifts and then all of a sudden they bought that much so even though and then some people just live to the thrill of meta hunting so they'll spend tons of money or you know buy an army or sell it or whatever to get onto the new trends so yeah. Yes, I, I do think price affects who does and who can play um, a lot of the time. However, I feel like a lot of top players are less affected by that because they can sort of make most units work regardless. I'd say uh, I'd say actually that's a really excellent example. The Gene Stealer Cult, specific, specifically the Acolyte Hybrids, is a ridiculously expensive model. Mm -hmm. Another one that's hilariously expensive is the Orc uh, Mech Guns. Yep. Um, I feel like that was like... I think that was the last kit that came out under like the Kirby pricing scheme because it's just mm -hmm. so uh, it's like got to be one of the most expensive models per point. It's like 50, that, 60 bucks. Something like that. And it's like a 35 US. point model. Yeah. Um, yeah it's $50 US. But yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Which, by the way, again, that's another thing where like there was a there's a infamous former member of Team Canada who, you know, got an 18 mech gun list together 
out of some stuff he bought at a craft store and it's a you know hobby atrocity <laughs> but he was able to field it at a looters are amazing by the way pardon just saying i said the looters are amazing <laughs> by the way but <laughs> at any rate he was able to play it at um at at, at, a, at a big sort of invitational team tournament and you know everyone was down with it because that was the, the standard was just fine. I think there's like there's like depends on what your culture of proxying is, um, or count asing is. Um, I think that makes a very big difference as to whether or not an army is just impossible to field. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also, I know the inverse is true. I know that if an army is relatively easier or cheaper to run and still competitive, I when knights really competitive or where gray knights are now, uh, I know that you'll see it a lot more. Um, as opposed to, you know, competitive lists that are a little more expensive. Um, I think, so I think um, another thing, it's not even just expense. It's like, do I really want, as in my case, do I really want 150 Fire Warriors? <laughs> and the answer in the end was no. But I did wind up having 150 friggin' Fire Warriors. Do you want to paint and, 150 <laughs> Fire Warriors? No, but now that, my commission painter didn't want to paint 150 Fire Warriors. <laughs> no one it wants the to only, It was the only time I ever got him to compromise on his standard. I was like, look, man, you can't do the normal thing that you do. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like, it's 150. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's uh, that's ways to break your commission painter. Yes. Make them paint 150 fireworks or uh, a fest. lot of thousand sun um, rubric marines. No, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They're the anyways. Even, that's that's even a, if you use with Tal, even if you use the example of of shield drones. Like I think like Siegler came out with his his like big swarm of shield drones. I'm not sure how many Tau players actually had. 40 or 50 uh, shield drones lying Actually, around. to be honest, that's something else. Like, a shield drone is an easy conversion from a regular gun drone. And I think that is an example of a model that has incredibly good rules that is in every kit. So it's very yeah. easy to duplicate. It, it is, but people drones didn't build them all as shield drones, you know? Like, they yeah, built them as other things. A little bit things. of snip here, a little to, bit of glue there. To be boom. fair, Val... There's certain models where you can get away with stuff like that. Most of the Tyranid weapons, I doubt, are actually WYSIWYG. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you that. tell me the difference between like a Venom cannon and like a Haywire Leech gun? I don't know. I don't even a know. A Barb Strangler. Barb I Str can. I don't know. <laughs> I can't. However, everyone and their mother knows the difference between a Melta gun and a Plasma gun. Sure. Right. Um, but uh, I, I have seen, you know, uh, leniencies when it comes to certain kits. Um, however, Space Marines in particular, and I'm not. You know, Space Marines, they're, they're a good faction. You know, they they can... Space Marine players can afford this little, you know, negative well, thing about their faction. That, but that, was, that was like when uh, Matt um, Matt Rutt was, was getting hell for his, his Admech Orcs or his Orc Admechs or whatever. And I used to always just put up like a, a photo of like a Rust Stalker and a whatever the other version of the Rust Stalker is. And I was like, which this... one's which? And like... <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, come on, which one's which, guys? And like, when I was feeling really snide, I would like put a faraway photo of those two models, and like, no one has a friggin' clue what they are. By the and... way, it's the cloak and the dome head. That's the difference in case you're between the Sicarian Rustockers and the other ones. <laughs> what are the other ones? I'm the Sicarian worst something. Infiltrators. Infiltrators. Infiltrator. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, um, so I just think it's a bit comical sometimes, especially like war gear options and stuff. I think just sort of as long as you're internally consistent, I I let it ride. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't but, know. Some people are gonna have a harder time with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but but that does. Uh, for instance, example when Sternguard were really big, you you'd run like the the ten combi Sternguard 
Uh, though that's actually very difficult to get because you need to buy five stern guard kits for ten combi grabs or ten of each combi weapon. Right. Uh, and and you know and that's like that's five stern guard kits. You're all of a sudden left with twenty stern guard models that you don't need. Um. So it you know it's it depends entirely. A, a lot of a lot of the kits and kind of like kit foo that you need to do to get these competitive lists or to get really good competitive lists um, is uh, almost an art of itself. Um, you know which... who gets really good at, uh, at kit bashing foo like that? People who have been going through edition changes. Yes, sure. I was just about to, <laughs> I was just about to segue to that. Good job, Scary. Um, You're so, welcome. <laughs> one, one thing that one advantage that I've seen people having um, in regards to these specific problems uh, where, you know, you don't have specific models, models go out of stock, and you need these models for events uh, is people who keep their collections throughout large editions. Now, I do want to preface this with saying that uh, encouraging you to keep your armies is a detriment to me and my job because I buy and sell used miniatures. (laughs) Full disclosure. However, I absolutely think that if you want to remain competitive, you do need some level of maintaining um, an army or a core group of units uh, because it does happen where miniatures do go out of stock. Um, for example, for Forge World, I don't sell Forge World miniatures because I know Forge World models go in and out of uh, Vogue and Style and Metalists, but also they go out of stock often. They're not very common. Sometimes models get discontinued. Uh, the Lucius Drop Pod is a perfect example of a model that just randomly got discontinued for no reason. It came um, back, though. It, it did. I think, yeah, they did. They just came up with a new kit for it. However, they didn't tell you they were coming out with a new kit for it. They just said, oh, it's out. And then, ah, we got one again. It's it's the same kit, but new and better. Anyways. My favorite uh, one of those that came back to life was the Gargantian Squigath. Yes. Uh, that's a beautiful model. But Beaches. um one thing about one thing about uh Forge World and also Games Workshop in general is they don't tell you when these models are going to go out of print. Uh we were lucky and we were told that Dark Imperium is going out of print. Uh but honestly, who cares? Dark Imperium is oversaturating the market anyways, so that's <laughs> not gonna affect anyone. Um however, the, a lot of times uh I will go in to order a miniature and then just have it be gone. And I'll be like, Well, when did this miniature go out of stock? You- the best example of this was when the orcs codex came out um i went to order boys mech guns uh ludas the big mech with the shock attack gun and they were all gone for, with no explanation at all they were just no. gone well, they were like, getting reboxed is what those, yeah, most they, of those they were, were yeah. getting reboxed and they eventually did say something in warhammer community when they were like ah orctober in november um you know, if you remember that October thing, but uh, poor little Petey Pop in September was trying to buy these orc kits to fulfill customer orders, and I just couldn't get them because GW randomly decided to take them off their website. And and this happens constantly, over and over and over again. Um, and obviously, I, a lot of people don't see it because they're not always buying models. However, it's something that I see all the time. And so, if you if you're <clears throat> if you're considering a certain list, or if you're considering uh, playtesting a list, or you want to run a list for a very specific time, i.e., like if you're uh, doing a last general or a best general thing where you're trying to gear up for war, you know a Warzone Atlanta or another big tournament like your LVO, your big tournament, you should keep an eye on the market price and the market for the miniatures that you want to run in the army or the ones that you think you're going to want to run for that army. Um, and if possible, buy them early. Uh, because sometimes GW can just, you know, mess up your entire plans because a miniature goes out of stock or you can't get a hold of one and you don't want to get scalped on eBay. So, 
Yeah. Anyways, but more often than not, you can't really see that one coming unless you have massive collections. But as a guy who's, who's like, like, I do have, and this is not a brag, this is a, and I have a problem. I do have large collections. There's never been like a new codex or a new edition where I'm like, oh, I have all of that. This never no. happened. No, no, no. Like, I mean, like, not. or like, I have enough of that. Like, it's just, it's just not going to, never, never will it ever happen. It, it is why I do preach that you keep core uh, units ready to go. Like, if you're your main army. So, if you're running Space Marines, you kind of always want to have like Primaris, Intercessors, uh, Repulsor, to um, maybe some, maybe all of the characters, one of each character, um, just in case. It, that can limit your, your, you know spending in the future but more importantly um having those miniatures on hand might also mean that you can you can run them without having to worry about other people buying them um for instance the thunderfire cannon um the great thunderfire cannon um uh exodus of 2019 um let a lot of people be like haha i've had three thunderfire cannons since they came out in fifth edition like hmm. you know that's cool they probably didn't have the other stuff for that list but um the point is is that that can help you a lot. And I've seen people with really good collections go into tournaments and do really well uh, because they have such large collections. Like Reese is a perfect example of someone who has an insane collection of just everything. He just has, he, he has a serious problem with the amount of models miniatures he has. However, uh, Reese can go into events and run basically any kind of list he wants because he doesn't have to worry about that stuff. Uh, when as long as it was good in fifth edition. As long as it was good in fifth edition, uh, he he actually buys he actually buys a lot of miniatures. He he really does. Um, he you know he doesn't he doesn't go out and buy like every army, um, or spend thousands of dollars. However, uh, Reese is definitely one of one of our regular customers. Um, we're ordering <laughs> miniatures for him constantly. Uh, it just depends on what army is kind of tickled his fancy at the time. Uh, right now it's Tyranids, although that Astra Militarum Katashan, uh, Colonel. That just came out is definitely amazing you know, something that he loved and that might spark his interest in Katachan again. Which brings me to limited edition models. So I'm glad you mentioned scalping Val uh, because this is interesting. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So so we actually GW has thankfully moved away from this, which I am so so glad because if you remember the Imperial Space Marine when that model came out, holy crap! For those of you who don't know, the Imperial Space Marine was a unique. Uh, I think like 50th anniversary, like was, model, it 30th anniversary, or 30th model. anniversary, whatever. It was, was that the yeah, the Imperial Space Ring guy. Yeah, yeah, right? it, yeah. It, it had its broken own rules. Yeah, it was hilariously broken rules, and those rules were broken so beyond. Funny. You could put give it, put it in your army for free, and it had an instant death gun, <laughs> and it could re you could replace any marine in your army. So if you had a tactical marine squad, like oh hey look, the Imperial Space Marine is in this ten man tactical marine squad. Oh, and they get the free Rhino because Battle Company, like just like anyways, it was a dumb model. And GW had made models like this in the past, um, but I think the Imperial Space Marine was probably the worst offender. But not only was it dumb, but it was a limited release, and it was very, very popular. So getting your hands on an Imperial Space Marine was already so hard. I remember I had to go to, like, five stores and ended up going to some tournament in, like, a game, like, ca coffee shop, or like, internet cafe store with, like, three people and a play on a dingy table for a shot at my Imperial Space Marine. I won, so I got it. I didn't feel good because everyone I played had, like, unpainted models and... 
we're using like trash cans for drop pods and stuff but i won and i got the imperial space marine that's all that matters it was mm. very 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 difficult to get your hands on one the msrp was i think 50 dollars uh but on ebay they were selling for an easy hundred new in box um they were very difficult to find now they're very easy to find now you can find them because the models the rules for it are gone so it's yeah, just they're a still, model they're still selling for like north 35, of 60, 60 bucks canadian oh. i'm noticing yeah, yeah, the thirty-five, forty US, sixty bucks Canadian. That sounds about right. Um, but they're not—they're not selling for what they sold before when it first came sure. out. So, with limited edition rules, limited edition models, um, if the model's good, don't wait on it. Same thing with white dwarfs. White dwarfs go out of print. White dwarfs go out of print. They only print a certain amount, and then they never print that white dwarf again. So that officio assassinorum white dwarf with all those assassin rules that yeah. sold out instantly, and then went out of print before. I think it came in print like in April, or or it came out in spring. It came. It went out of print before the December one, the previous from the previous year had gone out of print. Right. You know. So um. Just keep that in mind with with new models. Is you really want to jump on those as quickly as you can if you know you're going to be running them or if you think you're going to be running them as well. And also uh, with limited edition models, they might also be very rare, um, especially with these new uh, the new standards, the new hobby standards, cracking down on conversions and counts as models. If we do see another Imperial Space Marine, um, which I hope we don't, but if we do, um, I imagine you won't see it very often. So I wouldn't actually recommend it. I want to interrupt because I am blown away that white dwarfs sell on eBay for more than $0. They do. There's specific ones. Yeah, the ones ones. that have the stuff you need in them. Yes, they have literal rules that you need to play certain armies. Crimson Fist, if you're a Crimson Fist player, you need the Crimson Fist white dwarf. Uh, I don't think any more, but... Harlequin's white dwarf. The Harlequins, yes. Yeah, said the, Crimson that's Fists. the most recent. I, I was using the Crimson Fist White Dwarf as an example, but the oh, most okay. recent example is the Harlequins White Dwarf, which just came out. So yeah, also the White one with Dwarf? all the Inquisition rules and stuff, yep. too. I'm blowing. I yeah. literally threw a bunch of these in the recycling the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, White Dwarfs can be a treasure trove. Um, they are very much like used books, where um, you will collect piles and piles of them and they'll sit in your warehouse and your boss will complain about why you haven't gotten rid of them yet um but some of them will sell really well and for a lot it just depends um so anyways uh beware of scalpers for these limited edition runs and rules and models but hold Um, up hold up a second i don't know if i don't know if that is a beware of scalp scalpers thing because that's the thing about a limited edition anything is the point is the point of it being a limited edition is so that you can keep it in its shrink wrap, put it away for a while, and then one day in the future, it's worth thousands of dollars. This doesn't work out that way, but that's the that's the point. Like, why why else would there be limited editions? Um, so I'm just I'm just saying to be aware of those, so that uh, a um, if there are rules, don't worry about it too much. People will still use the rules. There'll, there'll be PDFs of them, but specifically for miniatures, you might not see a lot of them at tournaments except maybe at like the highest tier tables maybe only one or two players even then will be running them so is like there if, a new in box limited edition warhammer 40k anything that's actually worth something more than not what someone not would right now for? not right now uh, although that katachan kernel i guarantee you is is probably selling for more than what what well it's definitely selling for more than what stores got it stores got it for free however it's it was a limited run 
model that a few stores only got a few copies of, right? Like you're, I'm talking like two or three per store, you know? And, and even though there are a lot of local game stores, even mm. if you have two or three per store and you have 10,000 stores, it's only 20,000 of those kernels in circulation among millions and millions of warmer 40k enthusiasts and more to come when ninth edition hits, which is where our next segue is going to be. So it, you know that Katachan kernel is if if he came with his own rules, or even if he came with his own unique setup. Like let's say you know uh, Katachan uh, commanders w- with power fists were like all the rage, um, like a y- year or two ago. Um, if that Katachan yeah, little lieutenant, had- yeah. Yeah, if that Katachan kernel had come with uh, an optimum loadout. Um, like, imagine if that Katachan kernel had been a Space Marine captain with a jump pack, a, a Storm Shield, and a Thunder Hammer. Sure. That model would sell out like crazy, and and for good reason. That's a, a kit that GW's never released. What? That, uh, and a loadout a model that, that is everyone going to have runs. a War Gear loadout that we I know. love? Oh my, that I, doesn't just have nah. a random plasma Jeez, pistol to blow could, his own brains out? If Storm I could design models for Games Workshop... Specifically, just pick the war gears for models for Games Workshop. I would make them so much more money, but that I, I'm not. No, 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 no. First, you make the model, then you make the story, then you make the rules, Pablo. That's the way you do. <laughs> I can still this. do that. I can make. I can make. They'll just be like, oh, so uh, why did you make a fifth? captain with a thunder hammer and a storm shield but this time he's on a bike like well games workshop let me tell you a bike is just a cool model (laughs) anyways um yeah it's it's just um something that you want to be aware of uh you know when you're if you're interested in those models um but let's go and talk about ninth edition so val made an excellent point before the podcast uh and that's market markets affecting uh 40k tournaments doesn't just pertain to the secondhand market or the miniature market um it also it pertains to the global market in general and so val um could you kind of expand on that what's an example of a very specific instance of like gw stocks or whatever and how that might affect like not even just 40k tournaments but just play in general uh oh so um well, that's a, that's a toughie because that's why I was asking you about it uh, before. Um, I guess it's more the rise in popularity of Warhammer as a game, has, and the engagement of Games Workshop with its you know fan base and community, and also concerted effort to grow that fan base and community, has resulted in massive success um, as a uh, as a share as its, its share price has rocketed up from somewhere around five pounds. To uh, to a high of seventy something pounds, which is insane. Which is insane. Yeah. It went from a market cap, so total value. If you wanted to buy up all of Games Workshop stocks, you know it would have would have been in the hundreds of millions of pounds low end, and now it's almost a two billion pound company. Um, so that's insane. And I mean, if for example, there's always been this this uh, belief that Hasbro would one day swallow up. Uh, Games Workshop that might have been possible four years ago, but Hasbro is worth about ten million U.S. dollars. Sorry, ten I, billion, ten billion oh, okay. U.S. dollars. I was just saying, I was like, "There's Misspoke. no way GW is smaller than or bigger." Misspoke, than but yeah. it's it, it's smaller, but it's not it's it's not by orders of magnitude anymore. It's yeah. it's you know four or five times, uh, four uh, like a fifth the size or whatever. Uh, yeah. So that's that's a big deal for for Games Workshop, and the stronger in theory, the higher that share price gets. Um, the more access to capital Games Workshop should have and therefore would be able to expand what it does. They're a cash business, though, so that doesn't happen. Yeah, 
Uh, now, a uh, question for you, Skari. Um, luckily, in recent memory, we do have an instance of GW expanding its marketplace and us being impacted, and that's with the release of 8th edition. So, Skari, when 8th edition was released, we did see a lot more players start playing the game. Did you see any sort of noticeable impact in 40k tournaments, or just kind of like in 40k in general, um, that you think there might be some direct links there, or um, or not? Well, every like every region is a little different. I think that what happened it was at first met with a little bit of skepticism from like some diehard players, but then it kind of dived in and was really taken in uh, by the greater community. And all it took was a few sort of like events to start growing to figure out. Like I think it took Eighth Edition. I want to say about six months to really sort of sink in. I um, I would disagree. Um, I think they're like they blew the bloody doors off uh, as far as model sales are concerned. Um, uh, with the right with the introduction of eighth edition, I mean, like every single model in the Imperial Guard line was sold out. All the models, okay. Well, the, well, you know, let's like, just say, let's just say, like, models wise, what they did is the, the whole ally concept, for example, right? They sort of brought that in in like sixth and seventh edition, right? But it was it was sort of clunky and a lot of. Uh, and and led to a lot of like situations where you had like Eldar psychers summoning demons, and you know there was a whole bunch of really <laughs> wacky stuff like Necrons allied with Tyranids, and like it just it there was it was weird, right? And but yes, I would agree. I think uh, the way that they fixed it with keywords and all the stuff and soup builds and just meant that hey, if you're an Imperial player and you like Space Marines, but you want to have some Guardsmen and you want to have like some Sisters of Battle, and you know. If you've been collecting Space Marines for your whole life, all of a sudden you'd be like, oh man, now I can get those that little patrol of Cadians that I've always wanted because I thought they're really cool. Or I collected this one Lehman Russ and now I can put him in my list so I'm going to get some more dudes to go with him. So yes, I think business-wise it was a very smart idea. Yeah, I I, I think they... um, And I think the the result of... So I, I don't know. I think it actually kind of goes the other way. And I think a lot of people... We'll disagree with this statement because I think we're trained to not believe this, but I really truly believe that the competitive scene are the tastemakers of the hobby in general. So yeah, there are a lot of people who just buy things that they like and they put their armies together, but anyone who actually plays the game, um, whether that's pickup games at your local store, leagues, um, you know, RTTs or just whatever, you know, they're going to want to play with what's good. And generally speaking, what's good is determined by what wins. And, um, and so I think when tournaments started really crashing and taking off and i mean the lvo has been larger every single year it's it's existed and even more so in the last last few years um frontline gaming even added an extra tournament to its season um and then beyond that you know majors became as as normal as gts used to be um so you know there was just so many like think of every in our region um scary almost every tournament was a big tournament was a GT, and now they're majors. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right, Val. Uh, tournament players didn't buy out GW's Thunderfire Cannons. I will say that much. They have they have a huge inventory, a huge stock of these miniatures, um, and there's no way all the tournament players bought the Thunderfire Cannons. And I think even, I, I, I anecdotally, even the most diehardest casual fluff bunnies I've ever met still ran, you know, what tournament players spam. Right, I think, like I think it's you, if if you play the game, like it's 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 not even like 
It's if you just if you build and paint and hobby, sure, mm -hmm. doesn't matter to you. But if you play the game, yes, I think it does. Absolutely. And even if you build and paint and hobby, you know, like there are certain models that are just cooler than others, right? Yeah. Like Magnus the Red and Mortarian, for instance. The beautiful models that a ton of people have, even sure. not and they, but they may or may not be good, you know. Yes. Like, um, like I was just looking at the orc range, and by the way, this is insane. A stompa costs as much as a gorkin knot, <laughs> literally the same price. Um, which but, one's like, overpriced then? Is it the gorkin knot or the stompa? Uh, I don't know. Neither Hashtag of them. Save both the stompa. Is the stompa underpriced or is the gorkin knot overpriced? Pray for stompa. Um, <laughs> both. <laughs> Actually, I think the stomp is a fucking sweet deal at 150 bucks. Come on, that's that's a lot of model. That's um, an Imperial Knight is like 110, 120. Well, it's priced like a Warhound Titan. So, um, I digress. Uh, I just think that 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 the game, and then that that also feeds excitement too, right? So if if there's if it's obvious that a lot of people are playing the game, what, that just makes people want to play the game. Whether or not they even wind up playing it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, uh, like a lot of a lot of what I spend my time doing is thinking about playing and like coming up with ideas for what will happen when I do play. I play a fraction of the amount of time that I like fantasize about playing. So yeah. I think a lot of people would be like that. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about ninth edition now. Um, Val, do you think ninth edition is going to bring a bigger impact than when eighth edition released? And um, either way, do you think ninth edition this? Question goes at the Scari too. Do you think Ninth Edition is going to affect the meta hard? Um, well, obviously it will, but do you think it'll affect? Um, oh, how do you think it'll affect everyone? Basically, what, what do you predict for Ninth Edition when it hits? So, go ahead, you Scar. You want to go? No, that's fine. You go ahead. No, you hit it, bud. You hit it. I'll, I was I'll just smash it. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so Stompas will arise in popularity. <laughs> Let me just mute Scari real quick. Lost all credibility. <laughs> Anyways. Um. I I love edition changes. I think uh, I've been playing since third edition. I I have all the I actually pulled out all my old 40k rule books and I put them up on the table and I just took a look at them. I'm like, ah man, just good memories with every single one. However, how do I think the edition will change? I I I hope they just kind of streamline it and make it a little faster so that we're not playing a game for like three and a half hours or whatever. Mm. Um, so we'll see how that works and then something else that I'd really like to see is um, yeah I, I, you know what I'm excited if they push towards like a little bit more monofaction just in terms of balance in that sense I feel like if you play one codex against another at about 1500 points most codexes are actually really well balanced um, they do get kind of wacky once you kind of add more points and um, and let them pick from a variety of crazy different things with almost no penalty and uh and yeah like i always go into an edition change with like a very open mind and a magnetized weapon options and <laughs> and that usually carries me through so i'm instead of predicting what i think is going to happen i'm just saying i'm excited to find out what's going to happen okay okay um from a like straight business perspective so if we're just looking at like top line revenue here what what games workshop generated if we look at may may 2016 so that would be the last coming into the last year of of seventh edition that would be may sorry march of 2016 i believe is when the community team appeared 
Um, so this is when they start their engagement. So in May 2016, the, for the year before that, uh, they ended with $118 million of revenue. Uh, in the year ending in June 2019, uh, they had $256 million, well, a million pounds of revenue. So more than double, right? And so you got to think, what are the things that allowed them to more than double revenue? And one of them was obviously people really got excited about the game. They got started participating. They knocked it out. They had lots of good product releases. Um, and the thing is, is can you can you bleed more out of that stone? One thing that makes Games Workshop super unique is how much they can squeeze out of each individual consumer. Because people who like this really like it. Don't know why, just the fact. Um, so what makes me wonder about Ninth Edition and whether or not can they do it again? Can they double revenue again? Because I think yes, they can. Um, and that's not a prediction, that's just a can they. I think it's possible. And the way they have to do it is by embracing the concept of this being an IP company, not just a manufacturer. Because the, the $118 million, million pound company in 2016, that was the peak, like, we make models company, right? That's about as far as you could take that. And since subsequently, they've, they've become way more about... Um, just pushing forward, making people more aware of this, you know, weirdness that is the Grimdark and Age of Sigmar and all of its various properties and the depth of that world. And you can even see it on the on the new Warhammer 40,000 product page or whatever, their uh, their specialty page to start hyping up the the new new edition. You see basically six different ways to engage with with Warhammer 40k. They've got they've got they still have the hobby broken out into three: collect, build and paint uh, but then you have game uh, which is actually playing the the tabletop game you've got um you've got uh, play which is all their video game properties you've got watch now i think that's what they say but anyway and they also have um another one that i can't remember actually maybe that's all no and read and like saw so their black library stuff so they've literally presented warhammer 40,000 and what that is is sort of six different silos six different ways that you can interact with it and every single one of those things can be wildly profitable if sold correctly and the right people are exposed to it and get into it so that's that's what i that's why i think that you know it is possible that games workshop because it's got sort of a cool ip that sucks people in for whatever reason um i guess because it's got a lot a lot of everything for everybody um they can continue to do well so ninth edition to me yeah absolutely i think it can be as big as eighth if not you know a bigger deal uh, okay. Just because of the fact that it's going to be um, just such a, a broader plank than before, like just the just the fact that they're going to have animated animated series, they might have you know Eisenhorn might get produced. Who knows? You know, all those things will happen in this next three year cycle um, that will make it so that someone you know you'll be at work and someone will be like, "Hey, have you ever heard of like Warhammer Forty Thousand? <laughs> Oh, well, young and like, I'll just like jump. You. I will immediately just throw like a chair at the window, shatter it, and then just jump to like the roof and just run as fast as I can. Speaking <laughs> um, no, of animation, the... however, I will say it's nice to see effort put into the animation, mm. like severe effort. Like that trailer for Ninth Edition was such a hype train that. I have I haven't been as as giddy as watching anything they've released as I have like back in the day watching the Dawn of War trailer, sure. which was like oh the Dawn of War cinematic cinematic intro, which was by far the coolest thing, and they literally took that sort of animation style and that quality and brought it back for that preview trailer. Oh my goodness, I am so pumped. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, so one something. Sorry, this is something that I will I will continue to blather on about. But like, what what like when you think of Disney, for example, what what type what type of a business would you describe it as? Let's call it a storytelling business, Val. Okay, storytelling business. The Memories business and entertainment. Storytelling. Okay. Anyways, so, so um, the the truth is that really. It's a amusement park and cruise ship company, mm. and or largely is. That's why they've eaten a tremendous amount of shit since uh, COVID nineteen started. But largely, their their IP drives literal people to their physical places, where they make a tremendous amount of money off of them. I always thought of them as a content thing, like the, all of these pro, like because they buy up everything, they hoover it up. But really, what it is is it's a machine to to, to develop like fond feelings. And like, hey, I want to do stuff with that company so that you'll go to their theme park or your kids will want to go to their theme park. And for so long, I think Games Workshop has been terrified of the idea of cannibalization that if we if we do really well at video games, no one's going to want to play tabletop. No one's going to want to paint models anymore. Whereas the reality is, is if you can get people into that, they're going to do whatever like things that you offer them. Like if people get really into <laughs> into into your world or whatever you're selling, they're gonna buy the iWatch. They're gonna they're gonna go to the keynote address. They're gonna hang out at your store. You know, they're gonna want to do more stuff with you. And I think they're finally really embracing that. And it looks like it might be strategic. And if that's the case, then sky's the limit. This could be cool. And and here's the other thing too, right? Is it's no secret that video games have more a bigger audience in general. Every you know top top five top ten video game has more people watching their streams, more people playing it, more sales. Um, maybe not more sales, but uh, there's definitely a bigger audience in video games. So if GW removed to just video games, for instance, nothing else, if you were to get even a percentage of the video game numbers, you that's a huge amount of people. Like even if it's like 0.1%. That's still a large amount of people jumping into the hobby, you know. And then a percentage of that going to 40k tournaments might mean an extra, you know, hundred thousand people. Not a hundred thousand, you know, a hundred to a thousand people going to like ITC tournaments, which would be a big impact. Because out of those, you know, thousand people, well, we might get another Richard Siegler, sure, um, who, you know, or Brandon Grant or whoever, right? And so it's. It's fascinating to see where GW is going currently. I agree with you, Val. I think the IP. I think they've realized that their their biggest value is their IP, and they're they're focusing on being an IP company, and that's great. That's that's amazing. I hope I hope they come out with some sort of blockbuster Warhammer 40k video game. You know, something along the lines of like a maybe a battle royale thing, or I don't know. So whatever. Total War Total War Two just had a. Um... Uh, sorry, Total War Warhammer Two just had punch. a DLC launch. It is there are more people playing Total War Warhammer Two right now than there were when it launched originally. Yes, absolutely. That's messed up. <laughs> By the way, I <laughs> you know? imagine there's more people. I, I haven't even looked at the numbers yet, but I imagine there's more people playing Total War Warhammer Two right now than there are have, who have participated in ITC last year. Just a oh. guess. Oh, uh, maybe a few more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but what I what I mean by that is that that's a three year old video game. Yes. You know, and people are still coming back to it for DLC. Like what? In fact, oh, yeah. more people are going to it. It's it was nuts. a popular DLC. Yeah. Well, talk be... about talk about IP. You know, they uh, GW, didn't they announce sort of like a 40K thing with World of Tanks or whatever? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Which I was yep. like, that's a that's not like a popular game. Like mm -hmm. the people know. Look at so it's kind of cool. 
And, all, and the, so, all the weird knickknacks and patty wax that they're selling now, like those little bobblehead dudes, like all that stuff. All of it does, all that does is like increases yeah, the, the likelihood that Funko you, Pops. Funko Pops. Like, for example, like right now, we're kind of like the people who read the first two or three Lord, uh, Game of Thrones books. You know, like we, we sort of know about it. And then that next book comes out and then they announce the show. And that, like, that's kind of where we are. Right, as I far agree. as like popular consciousness is concerned, and it may not turn the corner. Like it might be that like all the idiots who could possibly be into this are already into this. It's possible because <laughs> it is weird, and it, it every time it takes a leap forward, it kind of blows my mind that it does. But nonetheless, it has continued to. Yeah. And um, the more effort they put into it, the the more they'll get out of it, and that will be good for its share price all eventually. Right, so let's make these revelations topical, and uh, you know, wind it back a little bit back to the topic of the episode and that's how this is going to impact you all and uh specifically competitive 40k in general um i think first and foremost we have to look at the potential for a lot more people entering 40k tournaments um may i don't mean a lot more like like millions um but as i mentioned a sizable amount you know uh, you know a couple thousand new people playing 40k tournaments is actually a big deal that's a, a large amount of growth in general um, when you break it down to uh, local size, even adding like 10 or 20 new people to a local tournament is sure. the difference between a GT and a major, um, yeah. which might make the difference between a guy wanting to leave and stop being a TO versus continuing to be a TO and maybe even looking into moving into a convention or something right. like that. It's yeah. it's a it's a big deal that I don't I'm not expecting you know millions of people to start playing competitive 40k, but yeah. even a, a small percentage is is a big deal. So that leads me to what they're going to be playing now i think the think the obvious answer is that a lot of those players or a large percentage of those players are going to start playing space marines chaos space marines or space marines in general um so i actually think uh, it, if because gw announced that ninth edition they they made the psychic awakening books with ninth edition in mind that leads me to believe that the sisters of battle codex is probably a ninth edition codex so if we look back at all the codexes in ninth edition like from a year ago the you'll start to see codex codex features and other you know parts of the codex look a little outdated um i think the, the most recent ninth edition or the most the oldest ninth edition codex is probably space marines so i think that's probably where the cutoff is so any codex that came out before the space marine codex i think that that's probably not a ninth edition codex. And the Space Marine Codex is, was the first codex that, and the supplements were the first books that they made with ninth edition in mind. So, Space Marines are going to get really popular in ninth edition, is my theory. Um, not only are they accessible to newer players, they're also GW's poster boys. They're, you know, the nerds' wet dream. They're gigantic Space Marine super soldiers. Um, they can take out entire planets with just a few dudes. And they're also badass and tough, and there's different flavors of them. There's Vikings and vampires and blue no, ones. No, we determined they're all blue. They're all blue. Um, the the point the point I'm trying to make is that um, if we do see a large influx, an eighth edition sized influx of newer players into the competitive 40k scene, expect more Space Marines. Um, first and foremost, they're an easy army to learn and all that stuff. Um, second, um, look at where. Look at GW's release schedule after 9th edition. I think those codexes are going to be super popular too. So if they uh, come up with Tau, like if Tau are like next on the docket, I don't know, by the way. I don't have inside knowledge. It was just a guess. But if uh, 9th edition releases and then Tau get a codex immediately, I imagine Tau are going to be super, super popular. They're, they already have the potential to be really popular. Um, and also, 
um, this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but uh, media too in general. So if there's like a Netflix special or a warmer 40k Netflix show, um, and then there's like a really cool like Tau character that everyone's obsessed with, like maybe they're like Bronn from Game of Thrones or I don't know whatever, um, that might make their respective faction really popular as well. Not if Riccio has anything to do with it. <laughs> Riccio, it'll it'll be Riccio. We'll cast him in a. We'll we'll get him to join the show, um, and then he'll be like uh he'll be like a Tau character in the show. He'll, he'll be, be going so around bad. with a lobbying thing, being like, "Please sign my petition to make Tau be terrible." Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, change that org. So super 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 interesting times are coming. Uh, that's why I wanted to have this episode. Um, keep an eye on those market trends. Also, keep an eye on those miniatures that go missing. Um, I will. Uh, few have already throw, gone missing. Huh? I'm going to throw this out here, Pablo. Um, I think what will will be popular is whatever is really good. Maybe. I mean, Space Marines are really good. That's why I said Space Marines. So but I mean, like, if, if they, uh, yeah, if any of those other, the second those books start closing the gap, though, um, it will be. But I guess the influx of new players, and also, I guess, probably Necrons will be way more popular than they have ever been. Yeah, that's true. The thing... The, the other thing I'm thinking about is if you're a new player, like when I was a new player going into um, 6th edition, 5th edition, uh, the resources online, um, the most common resources online are usually like six months behind the meta. Six months to a year behind. They're, they're behind the meta, right? So mm. if Space Marines were good a year ago, then the new players going into 9th edition are going to look at some of those like bigger you know, casts or whatever, and listen to like everyone, the the people guzzling their beers down, talking about how OP Space Marines are. So those new players might think like, oh, Space Marines are really good, right? Um, I think obviously that's not like a cut and dry. This is definitely going to happen. It's just kind of like a a theory or an observation. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. It's going to be very very fascinating to see how Ninth Edition folds out. Oh yeah, I can't wait to learn more about it. I think I think there's so much too that makes makes the game infinitely like if for example if they just deliver the app you just made the game infinitely more accessible for so many different people like not just people like people my age are annoyed by all the books and the nonsense um you open up the possibility that you know rules can be changed on the fly way faster than the the traditional you know one month than every six months if need be um, this, you open up the possibility that they're going to have a lot of like actual good data to like, to take action on that they trust because it comes from their own platform. There's so much stuff that just the app alone just makes the game immediately. The possibilities for the game go, go yeah, they, they tremendously can, high. Um, oh, yeah. oh yeah, absolutely. They can do what, uh, I just lost the game, but basically, um, Oh, magic, uh, EDH rec, you know, ma magic does with deck lists. They can look at what people are putting in their armies. Yeah. Like, oh, you know, uh, Space Marine Intercessors are in 15% of army lists, period, That which I may or may not be a, a live percentage. But, um, yeah, that's it's a big deal. The app is, is huge in and of itself. Um, yeah. I think we might have to have an entire episode on that. But the, well, once the we find out, yeah. yeah. Yeah, once we find out more information. But uh, that's it. That's the episode. Uh, the GW market is wide and varied. There's a lot to learn there. If you have any more questions, you can always email me, frontlinegamingpdpob at gmail.com. Also, if you're selling those End Times books, the omnibuses, spinoffs, any of that stuff, I want them. I will buy them. And uh, and that is actually a phone call from someone, a, a seller right now. I do who... really need to hop in and say one thing. Just all that stuff I was spouting off about the company is not investing advice. 
I am excited for it. I do think it's possible, but who the hell knows? Who knows what COVID-19 is going to do? Um, yep. I just think it is possible that Games Workshop does what they've done again. Not investing advice. Yes, but not investing strongly, advice. strongly. No, I'm just I'm not going to mess with that. But uh, uh, also, if you want to check out more, go to the Frontline Gaming Network. I'm going to plug that one more time. We're doing that super awesome $5,000 giveaway. By the time you listen to this episode, it will sadly have ended. However, code RHINO for any future giveaways as well is going to be the chapter tactics code for the future. So if there's any other giveaways and you want to win some cool stuff, I'm going to link that link below. Actually, I might not link the link. I'll link the link anyways, but uh, could keep an eye on that. Subbing the Frontline Gaming Network is going to yield all sorts of fun stuff for every every one of its listeners in the future. Um, also check out our Patreon. And Skari, where can they find you? You can find me sitting in my chair most days, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch. So you can check me out, twitch.tv slash scardcast, where we do live uh, TTS games or mostly hobby stuff. So come hang out. And finally, Val, Heffelfinger, any mm. plugs you want to give? Yeah, I, I, well, Pete and I might be popping back in for random episodes of uh, whatever 40K Stat Center is that week. Um, probably not covering any tournaments for a while, even if they start popping back up, just to be on the safe side of things. Um, outside of that, though, we do appear every Tuesday at noon BST, that's British Summertime, uh, on the Honest Wargamer on Twitch. So if you want to see my face, uh, you can do that. Pete gets up at 5 a.m., I get up at 7 a.m. Uh, Pablo, if you want to tune in, that's 4 a.m. for you. 4 a.m. <laughs> Listen, there have been some nights... Right, yeah, yeah, that's right. You just you just go around the corner, you just round the horn, and you can watch us. Absolutely, just go the pull the all nighter. But uh, anyway, that's where we are and uh, what we're up to. And of course, we'll appear on the Frontline Gaming Network of podcasts wherever we can weasel our way into it. Absolutely, and that is it. Thank you all so much. You listeners are the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one. Bye. Bye.